0: Have you ever tried to find a domain name and gotten the message, sorry, that domain name is already taken? Well, you're not alone. But with .store, a new domain extension for e-commerce and online stores, you'll get the domain that you want. What's more, your .store domain instantly tells people your website is a store. And it lets your brand do the marketing for you. So go ahead. Get the perfect memorable website URL for your online store at www.get.store. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Chance and my guest today is Danny Innie. He is the founder and CEO of Miracy. He's also the best selling author of nine books, including leveraged learning, which I'm pretty sure we did a show on here on duct tape marketing and uh, a new book that he has out called teach your gift, how coaches, consultants, authors, speakers, and experts create online course business success in
1: 2020 and beyond. So welcome back, Danny. John, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here with you.
0: So I want to dive right into the book because, um, one of my favorite sections, actually, the book is a great book. It's it's a great. Uh, it starts as a great primer, but gets very advanced for somebody who really wants to do this right. But I swear, my favorite parts the history of online courses that <laughs> that, you, that you start with. My uh, my first online course was actually something that I shipped in a three ring binder with CDs. Uh, so that kind of, I don't know what, you know, what time era that puts me in, but it's definitely was in the early time era. Um, and then you get into, I thought it was interesting, um, the idea of, you know, polarization and that, you know, now courses have become mainstream. So you want to break kind of that, that the chart of history down
1: for me? Yeah, sure. And thank you for asking. So, you know, the, the world of online courses is relatively new because the world of anything online is relatively new. Right. Um, but whenever you have a new opportunity emerge onto the scene, it follows a fairly predictable trajectory as it kind of infiltrates the market. Um, you start with innovators and you go to early adopters and you go to a mainstream market. I'm sure most people who are listening to this have seen, you know, those labels on a bell curve diagram. That's the, the Rogers Everett diffusion yeah. of innovation curve. Um, and this is the case, whatever the market, whatever the opportunity. So online courses started to become a thing. Let's call it around 2000. Right. And for the first 15 years, it was all innovators. It was all early adopters. It was people who are like, you know, they like to be on the bleeding edge. They um, are the same kind of people who maybe would buy lots of things on infomercials or fund, um, you know, interesting Kickstarter projects. That's that's my um, criteria where I'm trying to like, you know, I'll ask someone, you know, do you have like a a closet full of stuff that you backed on (laughs) Kickstarter? Okay, so you're you're an innovator. You're an early adopter. You're that kind of person. and those were the early days. It's like great, let's put something out into the market. And It was the wild west. It was unregulated, it was an unsaturated space. So if you're there, you have a huge share of voice because there's nobody else, yeah. right? It was really interesting early days. And you know, the quality in the early days is, you know, going to be mixed, but you know, not great just because it's new, right? The first yeah. smartphone wasn't that great. The first computer wasn't that great. The first anything is not that great. And yeah, innovators the innovators and expectations in are, are fine high. with that. Exactly. They're okay with it. Um, And not only that, it's a lot more expensive in those early days, right? Like the first smartphone was a brick that had a battery life that lasted 20 minutes and it cost a fortune, right? It would never fly today, but innovators are cool with that. They want to be on the bleeding edge. So around five years ago, we started to see this this push where online courses stopped being this niche thing that, you know, weird people into internet marketing or whatever would do. It started to be a more mainstream thing. And this is because of the efforts of organizations like Coursera and Lynda.com, which is now LinkedIn Learning, mm-hmm. and Masterclass, and Udemy, and so on and so forth. Um, it started to get into the mainstream. It's only been a few years that you ask someone on the street, where can I take a course? And they would answer you anything other than a university or, or a college. And so it started to become a mainstream thing. And when that happened, we started to see this polarization where prices, on the one hand, went down, and on the one hand, went up. And that depends on what kind of course we were talking about. So most of the traditional online courses there, you know, people in, in the internet marketing world call them info products. And I hate that land, that <laughs> word because it's like, you know, it, it speaks to the lack of value. Right. But for, for stuff that was legitimately an information product, the um, the archetypal analog example of an information product is a book, right? So think about that experience. You go to a bookstore, you find the book that purports to have the information you're looking for. You take it to the register, you pay for it, not a lot of money, because replicating information doesn't cost very much. And once you pay for that book, you walk out of there, nobody owes you anything, right? Not the author, not the bookstore owner, not the publisher. You got what you paid for, now you're on your own. Now contrast that with an educational experience, like taking a college course. You're going to pay a lot more money. And part of that is because of market forces and educational inflation. But part of that is also because it just costs more to deliver a real educational learning experience. You need to pay for the prof, you need to pay for the TAs, the grounds, the infrastructure. There's more that goes into it. And, you know, you still have to show up and do the work. If you register for the course and never show up, that's on you. But if you do show up, it is very reasonable for you to expect the the instructor and the institution behind that instructor to do their part to help you succeed. And so in the world of online courses, we've got this polarization where on the one hand, you've got information products. They're basically books in video form and they can be interesting. They can be entertaining. And it's a race to the bottom in terms of the prices on on those things. Right. Fifty, a hundred bucks on Udemy Masterclass, et cetera. And it's becoming very competitive. Right. You know, if if, you know, if you can take a course about tennis from Serena Williams or screenwriting from Aaron Sorkin, you know, (laughs) who's going to want to take a class from from, you know, Joe Schmo. I'm good at tennis, but, you know, not not competitively. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's just it's not going to fly. But the thing is that they serve different purposes. So information is very good for expanding your horizons about what's possible. Information is very good for entertaining you. Right. That's I would honestly classify most of what's on as edutainment. Um, information yeah. is good for integrating new knowledge into existing expertise, but it is not good for creating competence. Like we don't get good at things by reading books or by consuming information. And so when people have consumed information, they've learned from these, you know, info product type courses and they're ready to take it to the next step. They're like, now what? Right, how do I go further? How do I actually get good at this? That's the opportunity for transformative courses that actually give people a real learning experience, give them an outcome. And that's the polarization on the other end. That's where paying a 2000 dollars is very warranted if real outcomes are, are brought along in the process.
0: Yeah, and I think I think outcomes is, you know, such an important word here because you know, a lot of the early course things, even if they were great if somebody didn't to take them, use them, watch all the videos, do all the work, you know, they probably got very little outcome. And I think that kind of burned people out almost because so many of the early courses were easy to buy. Uh, but, you know, how many of them are sitting on hard drives, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere, you know, in, in the basement uh, today. So it's almost. Yeah, well, and that's the
1: challenge it, of information, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, any of us, how many books do we have mm-hmm. that we've bought, but not read? because right? because it's much easier to buy a book or to, to yeah. say I'm in like buying information is almost like applying a mental bookmark it's like saying you know I would like to know this one day
0: yeah I always and, hate it when I go back I go to Kindle to try to buy a book and and they say well you already own this I <laughs> hate uh, I hate that when I, I do it all the time <laughs> so so true so so it's free uh, on courses you know I mean in in some ways, that course that you talked about that people used to sell for 97 or 297 or whatever i mean freeze the new price of, of the course isn't it
1: well it depends what you're doing with the course right so it all comes down to sustainability and 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 you know whenever i work with students i talk about unit economics so you know rule of thumb you take what you're retailing the course for and you're going to split it three ways so a third of that is going to go to fulfillment so, you know, if it's a very cheap course, there's not much to work with, but you know, maybe you're sending them something in the mail, maybe there's some support time that you're paying a staffer, maybe there's coaching, maybe whatever it is. Another third goes to contribution profit, so you know, helping you offset your your overhead and eventually profit if there's enough of it. The last third goes to customer acquisition. Hmm. And that's the challenge with these low-priced courses, there's just not a lot to work with. It's hard to do marketing in a way that's going to bring you those customers. And so what you do see sometimes is people basically saying you know, I'm going to subsidize the the customer acquisition of my cost with something later in the funnel, right? So, you know, maybe I'm selling a software product and the customer mm-hmm. lifetime value of that is, you know, five grand. So I'm going to create a course. I'm going to give it away for free because that's a way for me to get people's foot in the door to get them into the funnel. And that's how I'm, I'm paying for it. That's how I make math work.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the actual course courses themselves. Um, mm-hmm. Because there's so much saturation, um, do as you advise people. um, Is is the first step to actually have an idea worth
1: (laughs) worth worth selling? Uh, Yeah, because I I, mean, any business.
0: Yeah, but I mean, yeah, every marketer thinks I have to have a course. You know, every speaker I have to have a course. Every author I have to have a course. Um, You know, how do you how do you bring how do you how do you ensure that you're bringing something to the market that actually solves a problem somebody wants solving?
1: Um, so, so, I mean, there, do you want the the philosophical answer, or the practical answer, or both? Probably both. Okay, so 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 on a philosophical level, the first thing you want to ask yourself is, what is missing from the market, right? Like, you know, I'm thinking about creating a course. Like, why will people want this course as opposed to something else that's out there? And you've got to find a good answer to that. And I, I get asked that question in different forms all the time. You know, either the, the space is saturated, there's lots of free content. Like you want to ask yourself you know, the stuff that i'm looking to teach is there is it already being taught is it being taught adequately is it being taught at a fair price is it delivering outcomes if the answers to all those things are yes then i mean don't create a course yeah right yeah, but, yeah. And, and look it's, it's just like saying you know do i need to create to, to open a new a new hamburger fast food restaurant you know it's not to say that because there's mcdonald's there's no other opportunity in the market but make sure you have an idea of how you're going to make it work because if you're just saying you know i'm going to build it and they're going to come that doesn't work
0: yeah and i think sometimes people get um i hear this all the time people are like oh that idea has been done you know everybody's doing that but but sometimes they neglect that well maybe the way that's packaged hasn't been done. Mm -hmm. You know, so instead of like the 27 videos, it's the, we're going to meet once a week for 55 minutes, and then you're going to go out there and conquer the world. I mean, that, that I think sometimes gets lost on people too, that there are people that want things delivered in different ways. It might be the same information, but it's packaged differently.
1: It could be the packaging. It could be the voice. It could be the experience. Like you essentially want to ask yourself, you know, so let's say I want to teach, I'm just going to make this up. I want to teach. I mean, let's, let's stay close to home. I want to teach marketing. Right, you and I are both in the business of marketing education. And of course, marketing is a broad umbrella. There's a lot that goes under that. Yep. You think to yourself, I want to teach marketing. Right? Well, case in point, you know, why would I create a course if if John already has a great course on the topic? I don't want to just replicate that and then go head to head with John unless i have a huge unfair advantage where it's like you know i see this opportunity john's making good money i think i can just steal away some of the market right you know ethics aside you know that that, that's a, a competitive argument but you know generally speaking when you're entering the market you're not the one with all the competitive advantages the the incumbents are so you want to ask yourself well what's missing right if someone asks you you know why should i take your course rather than john's you've got to have a good answer and it could be you know, John's great at this expertise. Mine is a little bit different. So that's a subject matter thing, right? It could be that, you know, if you just want to get the information, John's course is great. I'm picking on your imaginary course here. Um, (laughs) But, you know, if you want to really apply it or get help, you know, I'm going to have coaching and I'm going to have support and I'm going to get you there. Um, It could be about resources. It could be about schedule or timing. You know, John's John's training is great if you're available on the 2nd and 3rd of July, because that's when he's doing it. But if you're not available on those days, mine is available anytime, right? So it can be anything, but there's got to be an answer to that question. Yeah.
0: So I was just speaking with somebody who was telling me their idea for a coaching program and a course that they were going to produce. And they had it all mapped out and how many sessions and what it was going to be and what it was going to do. Um, And I was like, well, have you sold this to anybody have you talked to anybody have you actually do you know if anybody actually wants this um and of course the answers were all no but I'm I'm sure they do I know you've been a real champion of this idea of piloting um programs and actually building uh courses or programs with uh, a market or with a customer base so you want to you want to talk about kind of that starting your approach in that fashion
1: yeah absolutely so when you approach the idea of building a course right? Let's assume that you're an expert in your field. You know, your subject matter, you have experience working with people in this area. So, so we're not talking about like, you know, I think there's money in yoga classes So maybe I'll, I'll read a book and then I'll create it. It's not that right. You have real expertise, but the online course is new, right? You haven't taught this content to these people in this way. You haven't sold this course before. And this is all like, you know, axiomatically true because it's new. Yeah, right, yeah. You wouldn't be creating a new course if you already had it and you already sold it. So it's, right. you're creating something new. And that means that there are assumptions baked in to your plan. And if you are experienced and you know your customers and you're good at what you do and so forth, most of your assumptions are probably right. But some of them will be wrong and you don't know which. And the thing about business is that business is not like, you know, I, I like to use the example that, you know, some some things in life are like writing a paper for school. Right. You get 10 percent of the work wrong. You get an A. Some things in life are like building a bridge. You get 10% of the work wrong, you get a lawsuit, right? <laughs> building a business is more of the latter. So you want to make sure that you're testing your assumptions and you give yourself an opportunity to fix those assumptions, to, to tweak them, to adjust them. Otherwise, you know, when you go to the trouble of I'm going to build this course, it's a bunch of videos, it's pre-recorded, it's in a membership site, it's going to, you know, work automatically without me having to be involved. Then what you're doing is essentially applying automation to inefficiencies in your thinking right? So you're going to multiply the inefficiencies. You're going to, you know, if if you had brought in 20 students and you had a little bit of customer support headaches because they're confused and this thing isn't working, then you're going to set this on autopilot and your best case scenario is you're actually going to multiply the customer support headaches. (laughs) So you want to do a, a trial run. You want to involve people, say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this course, right? I'm doing this for the first time. I'm looking for charter students who are going to go through this at a discount. And in exchange for the discount, I want you to give me feedback along every step of the way right? You're going to deliver it live. It's going to be rough around the edges. You're not going to spend a lot of time pre-creating content, partially because it's a waste of time before you know for sure what people want, but also because it's a lot harder to get feedback from someone who's watching a video than it is to do a Zoom call and you deliver and you see their face and you can tell the instant they're confused or they're not interested or you're losing them. So gather that input and then turn it into that final polished course.
0: Do you want to know the common thread between one of the greatest soccer players, Cristiano Ronaldo, Grammy award-winning artist Khalid, world's biggest YouTuber, PewDiePie, and the global airline, Emirates? They all trust and use the new .store domain extension for their online stores. A .store domain name tells people your website is a store. Plus, the word store is globally recognized, so it lets you create an e-commerce brand wherever you go. Join over 330,000 other store owners like you and trust and use the dot store domains. Visit www.get.store and find your online store domain today. Yeah, it's funny. I, um, one of the first uh, programs I've ever ever built or courses I ever built. And I really did. I did it in a vacuum. I put it out there. I had a nice list of people bought it. Um, And, you know, once I started working with them, uh, you know, it was completely clear that it was way too complicated. Um, And that, you know, I had all this knowledge in my head that I wanted to get out, but, you know, that wasn't, the way that they were going to learn it, and I, I mm-hmm. spent probably the next year stripping most of it out, you know, that I thought needed to be in there, you know, only to find out that, you know, no, they needed they needed it this way, and it, it was a it was it was really when that, you know, because it cost me a bunch of money, yeah, <laughs> you know, so it was it was a great learning uh, uh, along the along the way, so you and i are recording this in may of uh, 2020 you know the world is in a uh, um a very different place uh you know on or meetings in person meetings are not happening right now during a global pandemic um so so i'm sure that every speaker and author is sitting around going holy crud I need to have a <laughs> an online programme or I need to you know move everything virtual and start you know and and even some of the large events that that uh, have uh, gone on and I know you have uh, some in-person events you know we're all moving mm-hmm. to a different platform right now so um, I'm not sure if there's a right or wrong answer to this but you know how does the how does that dynamic uh, which I think we will to some degree, never, you know, return from some elements of that. How does that change the uh, the online course world?
1: Uh, it, it accelerates the trends that we've already been seeing. So, you know, when you look at um, that adoption curve, innovators, early adopters, the mainstream market, yeah. Yeah. you know, the mainstream market is just the beginning, actually, of the mainstream market. Then you've got, like, the people who are mid-tier adopters and your late adopters and your laggards and so forth. Yeah. And, you know, there's always two things that will prevent someone from adopting something new, right? There are legitimate reasons, as in it doesn't work as well, or it doesn't suit my needs. And there are illegitimate reasons, which are essentially inertia, yeah, right? I'm yeah. not used to this, I don't it's, want to try. What's too this hard to change, thing. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what this pandemic has done is basically shoved everyone into the deep end of working online. So all the inertia type reasons have been swept away. So not even when, yeah, it's just not an option. So <laughs> yeah. even when the world re- recedes to some kind of a, a new normal, which will not be the same as the old normal, but you're going to have, you know, some legitimate reasons where, you know, this just doesn't work as well. I want to get in front of people, but you're also going to have a lot of people who are like, you know, now that I've tried it, it's pretty good. Yeah. I don't want to get yeah. on a plane for this. So yeah. it's just accelerating what would have probably taken another five or 10 years is is just kind of happened overnight.
0: So I'm curious because I, I know um, that, that you personally had an event scheduled that you had to pivot on you know, in sort of mm-hmm. you know unrealistic amount of time. So I'm curious how you pulled that off, what platform you put it on, how you thought it went. You know, I'm, I'm just curious, are you a convert? Like you're never going to do in-person events again. <laughs>
1: well, th- I, I like that question. So I'm, I'm not a convert that I'm never going to do in-person events again because there is a, a value and a power to being in the yeah. room. But I was very resistant to doing our event in a virtual format. And I'm warming up to the idea that there might be some hybrid situation that we can do because it actually went very well. And, you know, we we say that necessity is the mother of invention. If you had asked me, um, you know, our event is called Lyft. It's a three-day immersive in-person experience. If you had asked me what would it take to, to take Lyft virtual, I would have said four to six months of work and I don't think we could pull it off. Yeah. Um, And it wouldn't be as good. And it wouldn't be as good. Exactly. (laughs) Right. And yet, you know, the world kind of ground, ground to a halt three weeks before the event was scheduled to happen. So we had exactly three weeks to pivot and make it happen. And we did. And it actually, I mean, some parts of it felt like it was held together by duct tape and chicken wire, (laughs) but it worked very well. People had a great experience. It was very effective, very transformative. It achieved our business objectives. It's an enrollment event. So you know, we did well in terms of sales, all things that I wasn't sure we'd be able to do, but it, it is doable. So, you know, in, in looking more broadly at the world of online courses, I think part of the challenge has been that when you have only innovators and early adopters buying things, um, the sellers can be a little bit lazy in what they're creating. Because yeah, yeah. there is a degree to which innovators and early adopters, you know, they'll buy anything. Whereas... Yeah. You know, mainstream buyers are a lot less forgiving. You have to work a lot harder. And a lot of the online courses that we've seen in the world have been essentially a poor man's version of a classroom. Yeah. And there are a lot of ways to get really creative about how can we do interesting things with technology? How can we engineer a, a better and different experience? And we're starting to see a lot of that emerge right now. And things can actually work really, really well. So... I'm, I'm drifting a bit off the question do you, do you, wanna, do you no, want no, to no 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 yeah
0: no i think i think that was great and and i actually you know the people are in you know garages or wherever they are you know today innovating you know meeting technology like crazy i mean mm-hmm. and you just look at the progress zoom has made in the last 30 days i've been using zoom for two years and they've innovated in the last 30 days more than they have in the last two years and i think that that's probably mm-hmm. happening in platforms that you and i have not familiar with yet today because I think a lot of people have come to the conclusion. I mean, the big players, Google, Facebook, you know, Microsoft uh, are all, you know, going hard at this idea. I'm, I I have just a personal curiosity. What platform did you use for your program?
1: So we used uh, zoom for the main meeting platform, zoom meetings. We had like 400 people on, we used Slack as the communication channel and the main feed of me presenting. Um, we basically used a third-party AV company. They were using a technology called Memo Live, but there are others. There's yeah. Ecamm, yeah. there's Sling Studio, yeah. yeah. And so he could grab a whole bunch of different shots and create yeah. this like master shot. So um, it's a little hard to um, to explain verbally, but if if you visualize, um, let's say that the the screen was divided into four,
0: yeah,
1: um, but not even sized. So the top left corner was more than a quarter of the screen. It was like you know two thirds. So that was my slides. To the right of that, so vertically more than half of the screen, but uh, horizontally less so, that was the camera that's on me. And I was like standing in front of a webcam. I initially thought I'd be able to move around, the camera would follow me. Didn't work very well with our technology. I was just standing in front of a <laughs> webcam for three days. Um, and then the bottom stripe all the way across was like three rows of zoomed out, tiled uh, Zoom tiles. So you could mm. see essentially the slides, me, and the audience kind of approximating what it would be like uh, in person. Yeah. Yeah, neat.
0: so the Slack integration was was you were able to get everybody on to Slack and mm-hmm. using it. Yeah, um, I'm curious why you chose Slack as opposed to, say, Zoom's uh, communication.
1: Well, because we, for, uh, Zoom's chat platform is um, not very robust.
0: Yeah, I we, wanted something, yeah we wanted something like more robust. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And
1: we wanted it to be persistent. So we wanted people to be able to start conversations before the event, continue them during... And have them go on afterwards.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I really do. I, 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 I kind of had the same experience. Um, I had an event that was uh, actually supposed to be in Kansas City um, two days, um, and you know, we we went to, to Zoom as well. And you know, there's some there's some things that you miss. Obviously, you don't have the lunch chats and you know some of those things that uh, well, but that you are can. great. We we actually yeah yeah do. no. I think th- I think you can. I mean, they don't maybe happen as organically. You definitely can. But I will say that that you know, instead of having four days of being gone from the office, they were gone two days, and uh-huh. they didn't have air flights and things. So there's some things to really like about, uh, as you said, maybe the hybrid. Um, I think that there will yeah. be people, if, and, and it's and it will allow us to maybe think about well, let's do this particular training five times a year now, instead of, you know, just doing it twice a year.
1: Absolutely. So. And, and there's something to be said in, in the process of, um, of the, of converting from live to, to virtual um, is, is you need to take a step and not try to say, you know, this is what we do in person. How do we do it online? But say, this is what we do in person. What are we trying to accomplish with that? What is a way to accomplish that online? That extra step is really important. So, so, case in point, you said, you know, the lunch chats don't happen. Right, right. So, so, it actually did for us. So, people would come into the Zoom meeting at the start of the day, and it's not like they were coming in for a session, leaving, coming back for it. It's like you keep Zoom on all day, right? Between sessions, we put you in breakouts with random people because that's mm-hmm. how it would be when you meet random people yep. at an event. Yep. We yep. told them, grab your lunch, come, keep your camera on, sit down and chat, and it worked really, really well. But you've got to think about, well, how will I engineer? How I engineer the same experience, and to take some some legwork sometimes.
0: Yeah, we use the break rooms pretty extensively as well. And you you know one of the things as a as an operator, I mean, you really need a producer. <laughs> you need yeah you know you yeah, need yeah, some yeah. of the, the things. It's very difficult to juggle all those balls by yourself.
1: But uh, oh yeah, you, uh, you, we, you can't. We can... Well, I mean, look, you know, if if we're being honest, if you do an event in person you're not gonna like do everything yourself. Right.
0: Absolutely so
1: I, I think yeah. that's also part of the challenge in converting to online. People imagine that, yeah, if I was doing this in person and have a team of twelve people, but online, no, I shouldn't need any help.
0: It's like well, <laughs> well you kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I mean even even I don't know in your particular case, I mean even even mentors or, you know, other people that, mm-hmm. that could, you know, help the community come along. I think those are all aspects that, you know, that you need to think about. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Danny, um, I appreciate you not only sharing um, your knowledge and wisdom and, and teaching and sharing your new book, uh, Teacher Gift, but also in in kind of helping us along with some of this uh, virtual technology uh, as well. So uh, tell people where they can find out more about uh, Miracy and your work and, uh, and your programs.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, well, first of all, it's just been a privilege to be here. Thank you for having me um and you know anyone who wants to learn more about online courses and really there there's never been a better time to get into the world of online courses but you have to do it right yeah. um i would I'd would encourage you to go to teachergiftbook.com um you could go to amazon you could find the book there someone told me the best way to buy books is in bulk and I, i've enjoyed repeating that uh that <laughs> suggestion but if you go to teachergiftbook.com because the book is just coming out we're doing some fun things about the launch Um, There might be extra bonuses depending on when you check out that page.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks, Danny, and uh, best of luck, and hopefully uh, you stay well, and uh, we'll see you uh, when we can all get back out there on the road again.
1: I will look forward to that.